There's a story about a rabbi named Akiva, who was walking home one night on the same path he always traveled, except that this night was incredibly foggy, and his path was barely visible. So he gets to the point in the road where he usually turns, but because he couldn't fully see, he missed the turn, and he keeps wandering further in the wrong direction, until he comes to a massive fortress. As he approaches the fortress, he hears the voice of a guard who yells down to him from the fortress wall, Who are you? And why are you here? Rabbi Akiva, upon hearing those words, immediately responds with the obvious retort, How much are they paying you to do this? The guard was a little taken back by the question, quickly uttered, What do you mean? Why are you asking me this? The rabbi only prodded further, I'm sure you get paid something to be a guard here. How much do they pay you? The guard responded, two shekels a day. As the story goes, Rabbi Akiva then looks up at the guard and explicitly says, I will pay you twice that if you follow me to my home and ask me those very same questions every single morning. Who are you? And why are you here? Welcome to a journey, or should I say an attempt, of becoming more human. My name is Tyler Kleberger, and honestly, I don't have much authority to be doing this. If, if you're looking for absolute answers, I don't have them. What I do have is an obsession with understanding the world as much as possible. So whether it's philosophy or ethics or history or psychology or theology, I have committed to the unending process of discovering as much as I can while I'm still breathing. But I'm even more concerned about the question, what do we do with all of that learning? And that's what this episode and quite frankly, this podcast is about. It's us going on an adventure to explore how we can best live and build a better world. Various philosophers throughout history have described their role as midwiving ideas into the world. And I love the idea part of this journey, but I'm also hoping to midwife growth, change and progress and ethics and the practical identities for our humanity. The goal, if you're listening, should be one, to learn a lot. I'm hoping to share whatever I'm discovering, but two, to change how we live based on whatever we can learn through the whole world that is before us. And that's what today's episode is all about. The answer to who are you and why are you here is encapsulated in the overarching narrative of this show. Now, there's a symmetry between philosophy and ethics, discovering the world and then doing something with it, understanding the world so that we can live accordingly. And that's what I want to specifically explore today. So let's get into it. Let's take one step closer to who we are and why we are here. Now, I'd like to have a small space here where uh, questions could be asked. Unfortunately, this is recorded, so you're not in the room with me. Um, But I want you to have the opportunity to know who you're listening to and my social location, my perspective, uh, just questions that help you relate to the content better. So if you have any of those, seriously, let me know. Um, But I'd also like to start out with a question for you. And the question is... Are you superstitious? Now, I'm not talking about you have to put your 
one pant leg on first or else you're going to have a bad day. I'm talking about superstition in the technical sense, which is falsely attributing some cause to some effect and, and having a false causality with them, right? Like what conclusions are not fully accurate because you're mistaking a particular cause for some effect that it has without it actually having that effect. Really, the question is, what informs how you make decisions, right? What is, what is your moral impetus for, for reason, or is it based on experience, or is it based on some source of logic, or some code, or some collective identity, or ideology? What's the framework that's allowing you to make the choices that you make? So here's the case that I'd, I'd like to propose, that understanding the world and knowing the best thing or the best way to do something allows you to properly do them. So if your understanding is limited, your possibilities are then limited. And culture doesn't really talk about how we arrive at the decisions that we often make. And what ends up happening is we kind of get stuck with whatever information we happen to have. And well, we tend to be superstitious, at least in the technical sense. So let's start exploring how this all works. This relationship between philosophy and ethics, between theory and practice, perspective and behavior. And I want to share a story to help maybe inspire this concept. Because in our culture, you know, sometimes it's not cool to say that information matters. At the same time, on the other side of the spectrum, there's a likelihood that you get stuck in the pretension of intellectualism. So this story, I think, I think it shows us some things and it says some things about this relationship between philosophy and ethics. And the story is about Socrates, who is probably one of the most famous, if not the most lauded philosopher to exist. But there's a story about when he's on trial. This is in Athens and the Spartan and Peloponnesian War had just happened. This was around 404 BCE. And there's this period that's known as the 30 tyrants where there was this oligarchy and this genocide had happened. Uh, So they were overthrowing the old regime and democracy is restored. So Socrates is on trial two years after this happens. And, you know, dissidents at this time were taken very seriously because that was part of the problem from before. They're trying to control things. And Socrates at this time is 70 years old. And he had a reputation that preceded him. He was very annoying. He was very lowly. He was very eccentric, uh, just very different from the norms of the day. And for a lot of those reasons, people kind of saw him like his identity was wrong somehow. And so he's brought on trial and he's charged with corrupting the young and denying the gods of the state, which only the state at that time could decide which gods could be followed. And that was more of a political statement than a religious one. And uh, he was also claimed as introducing new gods because he claimed, you know, somebody would ask him like, where did you get that idea? And he would uh, say, oh, there's this little fairy kind of thing called uh, Daemonian and follows me around. And he was being funny with all of this, but he gets on trial and he doesn't defend himself. And for him, it was more important in that moment to do the right thing. And in the midst of the trial, he tells the Athenians that they should thank him, uh, even though they're, they're trying to charge him with these things. Why would he say they should thank him? Now, as the trial goes, he's, he's voted guilty. 
and then they have to decide his punishment. And uh, his the the person on trial gets to uh, remark about what they think the punishment should be. And uh, Socrates says that he thinks his punishment should be that they feed him for life on their own expense, which. Uh, it's funny because that's what Olympians were rewarded with. And so uh, they obviously don't choose that. They vote to give him the death penalty. And what's amazing is because how annoying he was to them through this whole process, more people voted for the death penalty than voted him guilty in the first place. And so then he goes to give his last retorts. And this is amazing because he could have avoided this. He was smart enough. He knew the system well enough. He could have gotten out of this trial. And quite frankly, it seems like the people in charge wanted him to get out of the trial and he refuses to do it. And it appears that the whole thing was so he could give these last retorts to hopefully shape the future of that culture. And he talks about the importance of knowledge, of theory, perspective, worldview, belief. And he says, virtue is the goal of life. See, the people of Athens to Socrates were stupid. And, and, and not like they didn't know anything. They were stupid because they stopped developing their understanding of the world and therefore would never live rightly in the world. See, Socrates was concerned about character transformation, that in order to live well, you have to understand the world you live in. And he talks about how there's one good, and that's knowledge. And not just like knowing a lot of things or intellect. There's one good knowledge in that the sense of wisdom of you fully embody the things you know in the world. And he says there's one evil, ignorance. You can blindly walk through the world and not understand it so as to live according to how you should live. Or you can have knowledge. And Socrates ends his trial. One of the last quotes he gives is that the unexamined life is not worth living. You must always ask why. And he saw his goal as midwiving ideas so that humanity could live better. The unexamined life is not worth living. He says that, and then he's killed. So when we talk about philosophy and ethics, there's kind of two poles here. There's the person who's the constant examiner, thinking about living, but not doing much, very intellectual. So you have that on one end of the spectrum. Then you have the person who just lives really efficiently, the down-to-earth, sort of an apathy towards examination. It's almost a trope for me to say, well, there's academia and then there's the common sense perspective, you know, analysis paralysis versus down to earth. And honestly, I think it's these two poles that we've created and and making it seem like those are the options here. I think that's the problem. And ancient philosophy, you know, I'm a fan of this because I think they articulated this really well. See, in ancient philosophy, you kind of had three categories. You had metaphysics, physics, and ethics. So metaphysics is concerned with existence and ontology and cosmology and epistemology. So what is the world? How does it work? What is true? And how can we know what is true? And it deals with things like mystery and consciousness and being and logic. 
But then you had physics, which was about the natural world. What's physically in front of us and how we can observe it and work with it and interact with it and understand that. You know, science would probably be a better way to understand that category because physics for us is a subject matter that you take in high school. But anything dealing with how the natural world that we can observe functions. But then you had the last category, ethics. And your understanding of metaphysics and physics was all geared towards being able to live the best way possible. See, for ancient philosophers, philosophy is about gaining knowledge to have wisdom, which produces how you live. The goal was ethics. And that's what Socrates was trying to point out to the Athenians. Aristotle, who comes a little bit later, uh, also takes this perspective. And he says, he even says, there's only one way to live. And you, so you need to have a goal, a destination, a direction, which he called living well. So think of eudaimonia um, or ataraxia, this idea of there's a certain way that brings flourishing. And he called it the real good. And the way that you get there is by virtue. So it requires you to know what is good. Uh, So you get this emphasis on what's called teleology, which is just an end goal, a purpose of movement, how everything's supposed to be. And so you have to understand what that is. And then you have to start doing it in the immediate context of where you are right now and keep moving closer and closer to it. So you have to know truth, right, about whether it's metaphysics or physics, by continuing to examine the world. And then you have to ask What do I need to do in response to that right now? The Stoics, which is a school that comes even later than Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, they emphasize that we have as humans this unique gift of the ability to reason. And so that virtue that Aristotle talked about, well, our knowledge needs to constantly inform that. So the Stoics did a really good job of trying to understand the nature of things whether that's, uh, you know, plants and rocks and animals and the earth, or whether that's logic and reason and metaphysics and cosmology, they understood the nature of things so as to live by that nature. That was their big goal. And that's why Stoicism is relatively popular today, because it emphasizes this intellectual rigor, this constant learning and exploration. But its main goal is to enact those things and kind of align ourselves with how the world works. But this wasn't just ancient philosophy, and it wasn't just like the Western traditions. Uh, Like we could look at Confucius. Confucius uh, says, we're designed to choose good. That's kind of the bend that he has. We're designed to choose good. Choosing poorly, so living poorly, is a lack of ethics, which comes from a lack of understanding. Confucianism seems to be working by the same principle. And so if we approach an ethical life, a life that we want to live well, from an anti-philosophical perspective, that would be the equivalent of saying we're not interested in understanding the world. The problem here is that no matter how you approach this idea of understanding in philosophy, there's still something that informs how you understand the world. So ignoring the exploration means that you're still going to make decisions based on something else. Refusing to acknowledge our ability to understand and the desire and need to understand 
and explore is determining to decide not to make a choice. So it's not philosophy and non-philosophy. There's no such thing. There's responsible philosophy and irresponsible philosophy. There's responsible exploration and irresponsible exploration. Whether we use the phrases theory and practice, perspective and behavior, there's something that's informing how you live. You might want to do that the best way possible, but you also want to take the time to actually enact the understanding that you have. And we can look throughout history and uh, have these glorious names that do this well. Like I think of uh, Leonardo da Vinci, who had some strange thinking about things, but he was obsessed with learning as much as possible. There's the famous example of these journals that he kept and this illustration of a woodpecker's tongue. Like He had the question, how does a woodpecker's tongue work? Why, why does a woodpecker have a tongue? So he seeks out to explore it. And then he understands it. But he was also incredibly useful. right? He was conceptually driven. But he allowed that to impact what he created. And in all of these inventions that he makes is because he was constantly exploring. He, he was a great example of philosophy and ethics. And if you look at some of the be- best artists and the best authors, the best musicians, the best inventors, they were doing this. They, they weren't just worried about how you live. They were worried about what can I understand and how can I live accordingly? See, I think we can overemphasize the philosophy, the intellectualism. And then we don't actually do anything, so we've missed the point. I also think that we can be so caught up in an ethical life that we ignore the kind of things that inform how we understand those ethics in the first place. And we need both. We need understanding and living. We need theory and practice. We need perspective and behavior, philosophy and ethics. So, for example, you know, I want to be a good parent, right? I want, I want my children to thrive. I want them to enjoy their life. So there's a teleological goal, right? An ethical understanding for what that ought to look like, what Aristotle would call the real good. But if I just say, well, whatever happens, happens. Or if I just use my experience of parenting and then replicate it, it might still be good. It might be terrible, depending on what my experience of parenting is, but I can guarantee that it won't be the best. However, if I take the time to understand child psychology, family dynamics, communication practices, and healthy lifestyles, I'll be able to practice better parenting. You could use the same uh, process for your marriage. Like if you're just guessing that I think this might be the best thing uh, for my marriage, or if you're just making stuff up or just doing, you know, whatever happens to come to you in the moment, you're probably not going to make the best decisions. Or if you're learning a particular art form, right? Like I think uh, I play guitar and I'm not very good at it. I, I can make sounds come out of the thing. Uh, but I watch the people who I know who play guitar really well And they're not just technically talented. They also understand what they're doing. And and so they're better able to practice the technique because they have this vast array of tools that are informing what they do on the guitar. Or I think of cooking, right? Like, yeah, you can just sit there and follow a recipe, but you're dependent on whatever that person told you. And listen, it might not be the best because anybody can post anything on the internet. 
the longer you take to actually understand the science and the art forms and the techniques and the processes and you practice different methods, you're going to be a better cook. See, you only have the tools to work with that you have. Philosophy, theory, understanding, it's about increasing your toolbox. It gives you more cards to play with. And let's be honest, there's lots of people who've gone around and created a really big toolbox, and they're the people that we hear just use lots of big words all the time and don't actually do anything practical with what they've known. But the point remains, there's a certain intentionality. You can't just will optimal practices into action. You have to know what they are. And so there's this continuous adventure of learning and asking questions so that you can live better. And if you don't, well, you're just going to drift towards whatever is convenient or easy or comfortable, which is rarely what is best, or you will only ever enact the limited knowledge that you have. And this is where I think most people are superstitious. We are making decisions on how we're going to do things that are based on false causality, where we're misattributing causes and effects and then living according to those. And I'm not saying that you're you're ever going to fully have all of the correct causes and effects. There's a certain perspective on certainty here. And I agree with almost every philosopher that has ever embarked on the journey. Certainty is impossible. We're just not going to be able to arrive at it. And you can be arrogant and have a certain ignorance about you, what the the Greek philosophers called amatheia, which is like uh, intelligent stupidity where uh, you think you have arrived at the full conclusion and so you've stopped exploring and therefore you have a little bit of ignorance about you. Uh, That's a nice little critique on American culture there. But you're probably not working with all the information. And no matter how hard you work, you're probably never going to have all of the information. What you can do is pursue it and try to build that up as best as possible and then live accordingly. I think most of us, because it's just more convenient and the task of, uh, of having a large toolbox and living well, it's daunting. And so we'd rather guess. And then we end up making stuff up when there's actual explanations and actual things that we can do to make this work better. And so that's what I hope we can understand is the beautiful journey of becoming human. Understanding and living accordingly. And so we have to ask, what, no matter what it is, what's informing how you do that? Are you limiting yourself somehow? What information are you working with? And what information would aid this process better? See, knowledge can't just be information from reading books, right? You need the rational, but you also need the empirical. You need the reason and you need the experience. And and I, I know that there's a lot of people who go, I don't need the academic angle because I have a lot of life experience. And that's great, except your life experience is limited to just you. What about learning from the experience of as many people as possible? I also know people who just think that they can sit and read a book and know everything that there is to know about a subject, which is also not true. And so as we begin this journey, I just want to invite you into a core principle that I think is the most important for us, that philosophy and ethics, they're dance partners.
They have to work together. And just understanding that you're always in taking information. Unless you're honest and intentional about what information that you are taking in, you're going to drift towards what is most convenient and comfortable. And that doesn't seem to always go well for us. At best, you're going to get lucky to live a good life. At worst, you'll be miserable. And so can we begin to approach whatever conversation we're trying to have? Can we begin to approach whatever uh, kind of action or behavior we're trying to instill with what's the best way to fill in the blank? Like I look at this and think, why not ask the questions? Like We're making our lives harder by ignoring the information that exists for us. So why not question everything? Why not try to understand as much as possible? Why not go on this constant process by which we will never arrive? Because if these tools are accessible to us, we might as well use them. And we have to be honest that it is an endless journey. You're not going to arrive. There's a certain mystery to the world of things that science is never going to get to the ends of. There's a certain finitude to your mind, but also your lifespan. And that's okay. But the more you discover the more you realize you don't know. And the more you keep going on this journey endlessly and endlessly. And this is why I always look at it like, I hope that I am better at living when I'm 40 than when I'm right now. That when I'm 90, I'm at my best. Because if you go on this journey of learning and exploring and understanding and seeking and discovering, it allows you to live better. It's not just accruing knowledge and trying to comprehend things. It's accruing knowledge and wisdom so that you can do something with it. It's like planting seeds in the soil. And the more you nurture the soil of our lives, the better those seeds are going to grow. We can constructively learn and understand about the world we live in and it's going to help us build that world. Philosophy and ethics, they're dance partners. And if we are going to live well, it will be by exploring everything possible for its usefulness. Dive into the information. Ask all of the questions that you can. Find what's been said about particular things and ideas and experiences. And then ask, what do we do with it? In the next episode, we're going to explore how we actually do this. I'll give you a couple illustrations and graphs that I've used to help me with it. But we also need to look at a couple of the dangers that exist within this spectrum. But for now, may you understand the world as much as possible so that you can better live in it. May you understand that the unexamined life is not worth living. And may you have a truly examined life that produces beautiful plants in this world that we call home. You can find more information about myself or Becoming Human at tylerkleberger.com. There's lots of articles written that are attempts to begin exploring this process. And so you might find something interesting there if you would like. And as always, please feel free to contact me at that same website. I'm always interested 
and continuing the conversation.